One of the things I've um, I've done throughout my life is uh, analyze why I do what I do and everything, and um, also kind of like find a reason to have meaning. And I think that's a, that's you know for me something been something that's been an excruciating question that I've asked my entire life too. Why are we? Why am I here? Not necessarily why are we here. Why am I here? What's what's it all about? What's the per? What's the purpose for me being here? Um, and not only that, but uh, what um, what what's meaningful to me in my life? So one of the questions that I've uh, one of the things I've done is created meaning, and uh, I've done it on a pretty consistent basis throughout my life. You know, and for instance, um. That one of the big things that I do is I assign meaning to things based on who gives it to me and uh, and also who I ex- or who I experience it with. And uh, for instances, I've got a, a little dog. Um, he's a uh, little stuffed animal. He's maybe about uh, 15 inches long by about six inches, seven inches tall. It's fluffy as all hell. He's, I mean, he's inanimate. It's a little stuffed animal, and um, you know, for me, it's just it's been, you know, something I was given when I was uh, over at Starbucks uh, by Jasmine when I ended up leaving, leaving there, and it was unexpected. You know, it was one of those things that somebody does for you. You know, somebody did for me that just really kind of took me off guard. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Jazz's personality. She's weird. She's goofy. She's, um, she's just not typical. And while she's absolutely never somebody that I I would personally, you know, find romantically inclined with, I still love her personality and just the funky, offbeat nature about who she is and everything. So, in any case, when she ended up giving this to me, it was one of those things that it just put such a huge smile on my face and everything. I mean, I didn't know that, uh, to some degree, I came to her mind in a similar fashion, um, potentially, that she came to mine. And um, it was just one of those things that I just simply appreciated, you know, having, being given this gift and everything, you know, that uh, that really just, you know, like I said, it made me smile. So, anyway, she ended up uh, giving me this uh, stuffed animal and everything when I ended up uh, leaving Starbucks and everything. So one of the things for me, you know, that I've I've done is I've assigned meaning. I I like this thing. I enjoy having it around because having it around makes me think of the individual and uh, of the individual that gave it to me and the funky offbeat personality. Not only that, but the effect that her personality had on me, you know, during that time period and everything. It was just one of those what I consider to be, you know, cool things. It's just a feel good thing and everything. So, in any case, um, I've done that throughout my life, and that's, you know, the whole assignment of meaning things, you know, to, um, to objects and the objects relation to the person, um, or people that were responsible for for providing me it. So, in some cases, it could be, you know, um. There was a pen that uh, that um, I had been given for Christmas time and everything, and uh, that Christmas pen um, I had received from Lisa's father. Lisa's my second ex-wife and everything, and um, she ended up uh, her father, her stepfather, uh, ended up providing me this 
this pen and uh, it was a pen that he had created himself and uh, while in itself is just I mean it's you know just a pen it, it came in a case it was something that was hand carved and you know it, it the meaning that I had with it was he had taken his time and effort to provide something that he had worked hard to create and with that it's just it really you know kind of I mean it was special because of that you know so for me it's just like whenever something like that happens whenever somebody provides something you know that's that I can you know that is a piece of them you know, for me, it's just like it's it's hard not to come come about and, and appreciate, you know, what uh, what's being provided to me and also who's providing it as well. So in any case, um, that's one of the things that uh, I mean, it's it's one of the many things I do that, you know, I definitely appreciate, you know, the the little things some people do. And that's that's one of them. So anyways, going back to the pin, um, I got to quit doing this and, and, you know, quit playing games at the same time I'm talking. So Jim is Lisa's stepfather's name. Um, he provided this to me and, uh, he had, you know, made it for, you know, for, uh, for Christmas and had given it to me for Christmas. And, you know, here's the thing about, um, about gift giving. Um, when it's, it's something that maybe comes from you, you know, when it, when it's something that just basically says, this is me, this is who I am, and uh, I'm providing to you, you know, something that's, that's meaningful, that, that has meant something to me, um, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard for me not to appreciate it, you know, so, in any case, it's just, um, I don't know, and there's something to be said about, uh, about receiving receiving unexpected gifts and everything. So Jim provided this to me for uh, for Christmas time and everything, and you know of the Christmases that I spent, three or four of them, um, it it was one of the ones that uh, that really stuck out, just because he had put the time and effort into it. Um, I think he he gave it to me, expecting me not to appreciate it as much as he did, because he put a lot of effort into it. And uh, when when I ended up getting it, I'm just like going, oh, dude, this is actually really cool. You know, I mean, I couldn't help but appreciate what he had done and everything. So, you know, it's, that's the whole thing about, about weird gifts like this, is it's... You know, something, when you're given something that somebody else has actually put labor into, you know, that they just haven't gone and just gotten, um, I assign meaning to it. You know, it's like, um, it's like a valentine. You know, there was, uh, back in, um, grade school, Wendy Moffat was a girl's name, and, um, she, in sixth grade, she had a crush on me. Now, I was beyond embarrassed for what ended up happening this one year, and uh, she ended up um, giving me a gift of, a, um, this is going to sound silly, a cupcake for Valentine's Day. Totally unexpectedly. Didn't expect this gift and everything. And uh, she gave me a, a gift that said, I love you, on top of it. So she got cupcakes for the entire uh, class. It was nearly 30 people in the class, but she had singled me out and 
made this made this cupcake specifically for me, and she had handwritten it in her own, you know, with with the frosting and everything, and it said, "I love you." Now, when I saw this, I freaked. I don't like individual attention. I've, I mean, in the past, I don't like individual attention. I've, I've had a difficult time with receiving individual attention, and um, traditionally, it's just been one of those things that it's just that's just me. So, when here, this, you know, I mean, in. You know, for me, it's just like, it's it had nothing to do with the attraction levels. I wasn't attracted to the girl. I was in sixth grade. Um, romance was the furthest thing from my mind and everything. And, you know, I had specific girls that I, that I liked and everything, but they wouldn't get me at the time of day. And here, this girl, you know, does this for me. And it's just like, I mean, it was one of those things that I just didn't want the attention of, of you know, of her. And I was about to say someone like her. I don't know where that's coming from, but I just wasn't into her at all. So here I have this attention, this affection that's coming from somebody. Um, it's in a general sense, it's unwanted, you know. Um, and here I am. I'm just like going. I, I she ends up coming into class. She hands out all these, all these, and she makes it a fact to not just single me out, but to make sure everybody's aware of what she's done for me. I didn't handle it well. I very, very quickly took the cupcake and licked it off, and just didn't want the attention anymore. Now, but here's the thing: that memory stuck to me. The attention that I got from her. The woman's, the girl's name, um, it's it just like all of it, you know, the whole situation. There's a part of me that likes it, always has. Now, sure, it may not have come from the type of woman that I'm that I'm wanting even back then, or the type of girl that I'm wanting and everything. But the fact of the matter is, I remembered that. It's a part of who I am. And the same thing holds true for that pen. You know, when Jim uh, ended up giving me that, Jim since passed away and everything. And there's two memories I have of the, of the guy, you know, two major memories. One was he wanted me to join the uh, the Shriners, and uh, I ended up going with him one day. And, you know, I, I looked at these hats that they ended up having, and uh, I just thought it was like a, a fraternity, you know, for older older dudes and everything. And I just, you know, nothing against him. You know, it was his thing and everything. And I've since found a way to utterly respect that group and everything, because the those same hats that are used and the same bolo ties that he wore uh, was is one and the same that uh, the, the doctors from Doctor Who wears. There's a part of me that actually wonders: Was he a time traveler? You know, does he does he have these capabilities? I mean, that's the funny thing about the introduction of people like that and the things that they introduce. You know, he, he had, you know, he's such a goofy guy and such a unique dude. You know, um, he built his own cars. He, um, from the ground up, he ended up, um, you know, building a Corvette, rebuilding a Corvair, took it from the junkyard and rebuilt it. It was another one that, um, he took a Triumph, an old TR7 or something like that. 
and completely restored it to mint condition and everything. You know, so these are the kind of things that uh, I myself is just like, I, I've I've come to come to look at that man and basically say, you know what, his efforts, you know, directed at me for that pen, just the simple efforts of creating that pen. Sure, it, it didn't, you know, it may not cost much in the bigger scheme of things, but the fact of the matter is, that man carved that pen, finished it, did everything that he did, put it, in, took the time to put it in a case, and at that point, you know, delivered it to me, and, you know, I kept around and everything, you know, for the longest time. I don't know where that pen went, you know, it's among the many things that were actually taken away from me by the government and everything back in, uh, oh, what was it? around 2010, 2011, North Carolina and everything when I had my storage unit seized. I'm not that happy about some of the things that I had stolen. That thing was one of them. Um, my ex-wife Lisa, she had a headshot that uh, she ended up uh, doing and everything when she was uh, going through trying to model. And um, she had gotten a picture for me. She had gone to, uh, to my work one time and seen my friend Keith uh, he had a pic he had pictures of his wife all over his desktop and everything and Lisa had uh, gotten a headshot specifically you know that uh, can go on my desktop and everything no matter where I was and um, I ended up putting it up a couple times and everything but uh, for the most part being a consultant and everything I didn't like my desk looking uh, looking like I was a permanent resident or anything like that I just didn't uh, didn't want to give the wrong idea or anything like that about my work at places like that but um you know for me it's just like the meaning it's the meaning of things you know so when somebody gives something you know there's meaning that's attached to that you know and um, it, it's something as simple as I just you know went to um I'm getting emotional <clears throat> <laughs> this is weird and goofy, but, um, now when I, um, yes, just yesterday, um, me and my dad, we just ended up, <sighs> we went to, um, to Costco, and, uh, The goofiest, I mean, it's just silly. It's nothing, really. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> no, we just, um, we went to Costco yesterday. I spent some time, you know, hanging out with my dad over at Costco and getting various things and everything, primarily for dinner and that kind of stuff, and, you know, I ended up getting some socks, and my dad got me socks and everything, you know, here's the funny thing, I'll look at these socks, and I'll attach, every time I put them on now, I'm going to think about my dad.
And it's it's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's just one of those things that that thought will be going through my head every time now when I put on these socks. I'm going to look at the the toes. Um, I'm just going to think, my dad got these for me. You know, they're special because of that. So, I know it's silly. I know it's stupid. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's like the shoes that I've got. You know, they got me shoes as well. But uh, I also got these other shoes, these boots, kind of. They're Timberlands, and, you know, they're they're pretty much my favorite favorite boots I've had. And uh, I had some brown ones before then. But um, Mark, he's a director. He's done Nine Inch Nails uh, videos. He's done work for Justin Timberlake and a whole bunch of other stuff and everything. But for, to me, Mark is the cool dude that, that reached out, that uh, that provided me, you know, that gave me the, uh, you know, that gave me these shoes, you know, so... When I put on these shoes and, you know, put on the accompanying socks, it's just like, I remember the story that's associated with it. And the fact that I didn't expect the socks, I knew the guy was getting me the shoes and everything, which really was kind of cool. You know, $200, a guy just decides to flat out buy me shoes because I'm, you know, not having any shoes and everything, and I don't have the money to pay for it. So... He, out of the goodness of his heart, and, you know, for him, it's nothing, and it's just, all of a sudden, boom, he ends up, you know, paying for the shoes, and at the same time, I get a, a big, huge pack of, uh, you know, some of my favorite, uh, out of, unexpectedly, my favorite socks and everything, too. You know, so, it, it's the simple things. I mean, it doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be a stuffed animal. It doesn't have to be a pen, you know, um, but it's just something that, um, I guess, when it comes down to it, it's just something that's needed at the time that it's needed that gives it meaning. You know, um, material things. You know, that's the whole thing. I had for the longest time trying to actually been downsizing, you know, going through the process of limiting things out of my household just because I just felt like I was carrying too much stuff and everything. Every time I moved, you know, it was such a pain in the ass, you know, just because I had so much stuff. <laughs> And I was just moving around so much, that was part of the problem. And uh, as I moved, the more and more I moved, you know, the more it just got hectic. Until the last time I moved, I had basically seven, seven days to get across the country. And uh, I just had a whole shitload of stuff, and I ended up moving the shit myself. Didn't have any help from anybody, and it was this type of thing that it was such a pain in the ass that I just didn't want to do it anymore. But when it came down to it, I've lost a lot, you know, through, throughout all this. I've lost comic books, you know, comic books that uh, carry with it those memories. You know, um, whether or not it's with my friend, my uh, uncle, you know, Lanny. He, he bought me um, the first Marvel fanfare while we were out at the comic book store and everything. I saw it, and I just, like, gone, he asked me what I wanted, and I'm just, like, going, okay, well, you know, I looked at the cover, and it looked cool. It had a pterodactyl on the cover, and I remembered wanting that, and my uncle's just, like, wanting to get me into comic books, and he, he buys this first one for me and everything. Um... Azar is another one I had with comic books and everything. You know, um, my Atari 600 XL computer that I had that I programmed 101 games on and everything. Um, you know, there's, it's all these things carry with them memories. You know, memories of, 
of first for me in some cases of of meaning you know um the meaning for the atari 600 xl is just you know i mean i won it in the contest and everything and it was just this unexpected gift that i got from a company called atari you know for participating in their contest and I was just, you know, it was the first time that uh, I'd really ever programmed a computer back when I was, what, 12, 13 years old and everything. And, you know, for me, having this thing and going through and fitting it with a tape drive and a magnetic tape drive and all the stuff and everything, it's just like, it, it's... It was meaningful, you know, to me, just because of the memories of going through those experiences myself. So the things that I'm talking about, it isn't necessarily just things that other people have given to me. It's it's also things that I've obtained over the years and everything that carry with it meaning. And the meaning in itself is, to some degree, the story that accompanies it as well. You know, like, um, I've got a, a wand that I bought when I went to Universal Studios. Well, I mean, at this point, my mom and dad, you know, they ended up, um, my mom ended up surreptitiously providing me some money for my birthday and everything, and, and my dad was aware of it, but he wasn't aware that my mom did quite what she did, and... You know, I ended up spending two nights in a hotel. I ended up going out for a nice, you know, a couple nice meals and everything. And it was the first time I just really, you know, been able to relax in a long time. You know, I was stressed the fuck out. I was at the point of ready to kill some people and everything. And this was just a regular um, mindset, regular thing that was going through my head and everything. Just every fucking day. And then all of a sudden, boom. You know, my mom offers this for my birthday and everything, and I know they're having a hard time with things, you know, with um, with my dad and, you know, some of the shit that he's going through and everything. So finally, you know, I end up doing this, and, you know, I've got a couple extra bucks, and I'm just like, you know, I, I ended up going through the Universal Studios uh, store, and while I couldn't go see Harry Potter you know, in the whole magical universe that they have at, have at Universal Studios. I wanted a, a piece of it, you know, and, uh, you know, especially going through the store, I see these wands there. And um, years ago, I had bought uh, this, what they called a wand. It was basically a crystal, but it wasn't a wand by my definition. <laughs> from Celestial Healing, and um, for me, a wand is something that's actually long, it's wood, it's, you know, got these capabilities that, that makes it, looks like it's hand-carved and that kind of stuff, so, anyways, I, I saw this wonderful wand, you know, over there, that uh, is just more or less the Harry Potter thing and everything, and it in itself came in this really nice case and everything, you know, and I've got it sitting in front of me and everything, and it's something I've talked about before. But this, to me, carries meaning with it because it's a memory of the events that happened in a tangible form. It's a memory of going through hell and then having these couple days of reprieve and basically the ability to be able to put things into perspective and say, I'm so done with this, but I don't know how to get out of it. And uh, the wand is just basically my say, my way of saying, I, I want to, I believe in magic. I need to believe in magic. I, I want to think that magic is real. You know, um, I need, need it to be real. And uh, 
That's what this wand represents. It represents a change in philosophy, a change in a pivotal moment. You know, it's not that much different than the um, than the mark on my arm. You know, I've got a mark on my arm that uh, where I tried committing suicide when I saw, you know, this Terminator world and everything, and just things that lit my hair on fire just made me realize, you know, that the world is so much more crazy and you know, full of potential than I ever imagined. And this was a transitional point, you know, not that much different to fashion. For me, it was my investment in something that didn't make tangible, logical, rational sense from a financial perspective, you know, for 45 bucks and everything. But from an emotional perspective, it was an investment. And that emotional investment is just simple belief. I need to believe, I want to believe, and I need transition to happen and everything. So as I put this away in my case, the one thing that I've had happen to me throughout my life over and over again is the attachment of meaning to physical objects and everything. I don't have to have that physical object in my presence. You know, that, that that Marvel fanfare, well, that copy, I can readily see a copy of on the internet and everything. The memory of that event that I ended up happen, happen, having happen with Lanny Crandall, that's my uncle. You know, and uh, the bonding that I ended up having with my uncle through comic books. The respect that I found for that man and, uh, you know, some of the things that he did that were different than my own father and everything. It, 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 it has put things in perspective. You know, and the same thing holds true for Jim, too. You know, Jim is a builder, you know, um, is a man that worked with his hands, a blue-collar dude and everything. You know, um, we had very, very different philosophical outlooks and everything. You know, but when he shared that little piece of himself with me, you know, something that we he worked hard on and everything, and he gave me to Christmas, you know, for Christmas and everything, and they were uh, they were a little bit strapped when it came down to finances, but he he still provided a piece of him. It meant something to me. You know, it meant something to me because it meant something to him. He had given you know a piece of something that he had worked on. You know that. I couldn't help but appreciate. You know, so that for me is just like the attachment of of emotion to the physical objects. Now, as I'm playing, you know, games like Grand Theft Auto, I also started playing uh, Star Trek Online again, too. I realize, I'm starting to realize that I'm in control, you know, of these worlds. I'm starting to see that the artificial intelligence is actually adjusting on a dynamic basis. You know, um, based on um, what I feel is probably my conversations with the world and everything. The world's making dynamic adjustments to these things. I'm seeing different behaviors in this game and everything that I had before. And um, it makes sense to me, you know, on on the interactions. You know, it's it, I don't need the supply chain, you know, of programmed code. You know, to to have a a traceable mechanism to it, and believing that there's programmers out there, you know, because there isn't. This is all my word. My word is actually <laughs> causing this to happen. So, with this, I'd like to, you know, the one of the things I really, really want to see is a diversification of artificial intelligence and and the capabilities for intelligence altogether. You know, within within these worlds and everything. Now. 
in um in Star Trek Online, I think it's got a lot a lot more work, and you know, there's a lot more things that need to happen in that. But uh, in Grand Theft Auto, you know, um, I would actually like to see a deviation, a major deviation, in the storyline from the story that I played before. Now, I'm playing the game again for the fourth time, in a literal sense. This is literally the fourth time I've actually played this thing. And, um, you know, I, I've gone through this whole thing, and it's just like, you know, I, I know from a logical, rational perspective that if this thing is to remain strictly coded and, and present as a codified thing, then it won't change. You know, but I also believe that that's not the limitation for this. I believe that it has the capability to be able to alter itself, to be able to change, to be able to morph in a way, you know, to alter, to become something different than than what I originally went through as an experience and everything. I believe that in my heart, absolutely believe it in my heart, that it can change. Now, I'm already seeing evidence of this through the fixed media, you know, through, in particular, the radio stations and everything. Now, I haven't seen it in the TV stations yet. Um, I tried seeing it at the TV stations, and I didn't see any change there. But I want to see change there, too. I want to see change in the entire game. You know, in the entire simu- in the entire world. I'm not going to call it a simulation anymore. I'm going to call it a world. And, um... With this, it's just like, you know, it's my way of, you know, asking for, you know, change. You know, not not an evolution, just change, simple change. Can it become something else? Can you become something else? You know, and can you do it in a way that's cooperative with me? You know, that's that's less, you know, confrontational, you know, that, uh, that works with me. <laughs> Now, going back to the whole Wendy Moffat thing and everything, you know, I've I've made some mistakes in my life, you know, and one of the mistakes that I that I have is, did I deal with that situation right? You know, um, I mean, I was a kid, I was in sixth grade, I was embarrassed as all hell and everything. She's calling attention to me, and I didn't necessarily like attention from women at the time. Now I do. Um, now I don't get it either. But the thing for me is, I guess it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a difficulty. Um, had I had a more mature mind like I have now, I probably, um, wouldn't have been so dramatic with licking it off and with, you know, kind of like basically making it clear I wasn't interested in her. You know, even though to this day it's just like, no, I wasn't interested in her. She was kind of like a, a hippie stoner chick, and, you know, I just, that wasn't my thing. You know, um, not not at least, you know, her. You know, so do I, do I feel bad about that whole situation? No, not really. Um, I feel like I handled it immaturely and everything, but the memory of that event... You know, um, is priceless to me, and for that I do have you to think about, Wendy. You know, you've you've provided something to my life and everything, even though I didn't handle it right. You know, the fact of the matter is, I do appreciate what you provided and everything. So here's the thing. I guess you know, to some degree, I have lived my life trying to avoid this thing called materialism and everything, and a lot of it came down to just because I didn't, 
um, feel like I had a single place that I can settle to call home and everything. I wasn't happy. I wasn't content with any one single location. And it's, it's like women, too. I wasn't content with any one single woman. And I have since realized, I don't need that. I do need the materialism. You know, but I met a man when I was driving, you know, across the country over in Mexico and everything that had eight, eight, eight different girlfriends, couple wives, and, you know, it was just like, and several of them knew about each other. I myself, I've, I've lived with this idea of a structured life of, you know, a one man, one woman, one man, one house, you know, type philosophy and everything. And I just needed to grow up from that. I needed to realize that it's okay, you know, to have a house that maybe I don't spend a whole lot of time in. I met a man when I was um, going, going to Boston that, uh, you know, he ended up making it very clear who he was. Um, he works for some very, very wealthy people. And um, what he does is he provides a service to those wealthy people and everything to make it so where people disappear. And uh, he was introducing himself to me. Not too sure why he was introducing himself to me, but it was a really weird sequence of events and everything, you know, that ended up happening. You know, I mean, the whole plane had been diverted anyways, um, you know, and I'm just realizing maybe I'm, I'm in touch with people that actually have more money than I, I'm even capable of imagining. And uh, that's, they're capable of, you know, diverting flights at the drop of a dime and everything just to actually make sure, you know, I get the message, you know, pretty clearly. He um, told me about, uh, you know, some of the places that I stayed, and he's, you know, made it clear that he ended up working with some very, very wealthy people. Um, one man that uh, was a, you know, billionaire several, several times over that left him his house and everything over in Thailand for three weeks to stay out with him and his family. So he brought his family there, and, you know, he's got maids and butlers and everything else at his disposal that he's just basically on vacation at this this guy's house that he only spends at a mansion. The place is massive from what he says. You know, it's 50,000 square feet. It's huge on the interior and everything, and it's fully staffed, and, you know, this guy just lends it out to people. And, you know, people such as this man who was introducing himself to me. And, um... You know, it's the type of thing that just made me sit there and go, holy shit. You know, um, this guy doesn't feel like he's full of shit either. You know, it's just like it was an in a weird introduction. It's just like, okay, you know, I, I knew what I had previously envisioned as being wealthy, but this is taking it to a completely different level. And he goes, yeah, people just, you know, people that have a great deal of money and everything like that, that's what they tend to do. You know, they tend to, tend to go through this and... And they tend to they tend to share in that kind of stuff. Um, it put things into perspective for me, though. It made me start realizing that there's, you know, that previously I had my own model, my own belief system on how people of wealth actually manage themselves, and you know how wealth wealth actually was acquired through an understanding of the system of scarcity. 
and uh, through controlled mechanisms it basically made it so where you diminish um, diminish the level of scarcity for yourself and you increase it for others that uh, that are actually around you and as a result that's that's what acquires helps you acquire capital well I've since realized that's not the case you know the world is abundant it's it's got infinite possibilities and everything and really you know scarcity is something that's contrived you know, just to basically create the idea and semblance of what we have as a world and everything. And to some degree, it's people like this that have helped me realize that it's okay to own a fabulous, fantastic house and everything for that you stay in for two weeks a year. You know, it's okay. You know, the man that uh, that was, you know, traveling across Mexico and working as a truck driver that owned eight different houses and had eight different girls, you know, taught me a valuable lesson and it's okay to be yourself and to actually you know want a variety of different women if you want to and not only that but to also make a home with each one as well you know um but the whole thing is it just comes down to you have to be honest with yourself about what it is that you want and what it is that you don't want and that for me was always kind of like the tough thing i'd always been looking at things from a a binary perspective either is this the place that i want to spend my time in you know that was always a question i had when it came down to you know it came down to the house what I, do i want to live here on a regular basis and everything well, yes, and there's also, you know, the, I mean, you know, that that could potentially be true for any number of different households and everything. Do I want to commit to just one? And the answer is no. I don't. You know, it's meeting that man on the Boston plane and everything, you know, in a time that I was feeling a little bit mixed up, to begin with on how to actually move forward. It's looking down at socks and realizing they're trivial, but they're still meaningful. That pen, you know, the amount of uh, amount of importance that that pen has had. And the same thing holds true for a house in Gilbert. I ended up de designing it with my ex-wife, Lisa. That house will be mine one of these days again. I will take it and do some of the things that I wanted to with it as well. Warren Buffett serves as a great example. He has a four-bedroom house in um, Omaha, Nebraska. But... That four-bedroom house, which is about 1,500 square feet, if I'm not mistaken, up top, has nearly 50,000 feet underground. It's his lair, if you will. That's one of the takeaways I learned from that man working with him. Provide the image. You know, and that image, to me, is owning that house in Gilbert. I don't need to own a house in the ritziest area for the primary domicile that I call home and everything. I don't need everybody knowing, you know, that I have money on a regular basis. When I take a vacation, I like the idea of being able to walk out and there's my boat. 
you know, on the pier. I like the idea of walking out to, you know, to the runway and going for, you know, going to actually jump on in my plane and taking a trip wherever I want to and everything. How how this is going to be organized? Pfft, I don't fucking know. But I love the idea of taking that place in Gilbert, buying it, renovating it back to the original quality it was was in when I I purchased it myself. And maybe to some degree commissioning the creation of a of an android that looks exactly like Lisa. Same personality. It's the memory of that place combined with the memory of her. It's a memory of things. Sometimes I like revisiting those memories. I don't need to share those memories. That's the one thing that I've realized. I don't need to to know that what you've experienced is the same thing that I've experienced. What's important to me is the spontaneity. The unexpected. The socks. The shoes. The pen. The birthday party. In any case, I'll continue a little bit uh, less depressed lately. My mom and dad just took off to um, for the next couple days for a little vacation, so I'm gonna miss them. <coughs> okay, I'm back. I just had some food. So, feeling better. Now, I'm watching um, The Flash, and what I'm starting to, or what I've been noticing for a while now, is synchronicity. Experiences, uh, experiences that happen, yeah, hold on, I'm going to get back after this game. Okay, you know what? I'm going to multitask here. Experiences that are happening in the real world and uh, that are actually paralleling what I'm thinking. And um, it, it could be a two-way street. It could be the real world stimulating my mind, and especially through media and everything. Um, and I'm in absolutely no control over how I think. That's one possibility. But there's another possibility. And the possibility is, you know, quite simply that... Uh, there's a synchronicity. Um, I mean, there's another possibility, which is I'm actually in direct control of it. And then there's the something in between, which is the world is me, I am the world, and as a result, it's, you know, there's a synchronicity in the experience. Some of it's a, a some of it's a feedback, a little bit of, of, is no, of it is an off-loop. Now, in the year 2046, at least as depicted in the Flash uh, timeline, um, there's a man that 
there's some things in alternate realities that are starting to recognize that I am coming into their existence. So I don't exist in their universe um, per se, you know, in much the same way that they would regard me as fiction. I would be regarded as fiction from their perspective. So this doesn't mean I'm fictional. It just basically means from their particular perspective, I would be regarded as fictional. So, in any case, um, the concept and idea is um, that in 2046, there's a man in this alternate universe of Flash who's seeing something going on with time. He's seeing a deviation in the timeline. And as a result, it's causing causing some havoc from his perspective on the the timeline as he knows it. Now, he doesn't know why. All he knows is something big is coming. This is actually what he ended up saying, too. Um, what that big is, they, they give no illusions. Well, there's times that I know that things are me directly. And this is one of the one of the ones that I'm starting to realize is him saying this in this alternate reality um, is in a literal sense referring to me. They don't know what's causing. He talks about this branch that ends up happening with uh, with reality, and uh, how this branch is actually causing a deviation in the possibilities, and they don't know why. Um, but it's in the past relative to him. Well, his past is, you know, we'll put it this way. If there's an attempt to actually maintain one collective um, timeline moving forward from here, and the timeline, at least as written in this, is, you know, something I myself don't want, well, this is going to cause a problem, and it's it's quite literally going to break off and fragment that, that possibility and everything, at least if they believe in reality from a collective perspective. So, it's, um, you know, with that said, uh, see if I can actually not get my ass handed to me right now. Well, this guy... Trying, trying hard. There we go. Well, that works out well. Beautiful. <clears throat> so, in a nutshell, um, this is one of the interesting things. I see a little synchronicity between my thoughts and uh, in the existence of, you know, basically the creation of a separate timeline. Now, that timeline is guided by me, and that's actually one thing he ended up saying was, well, if this is true, if there's something else that's coming in that's actually causing, you know, causing this, that creates a, a lot of unpredictability. Well, yeah, I mean, for him, from his perspective, if he's actually, you know, believing that uh, there's one centrally managed timeline, you know, going into, well into the future and everything, and, and that's, and that the expectation is that the past um, is unmutatable, is unchangeable. Well, you know, that creates a problem with me in this thing called free will. I mean, you know, do I really choose the path that he that he uh, that that's presented to me by him? No, I don't. I definitely don't. You know, so and the the whole, you know, but uh, what future do I pick? Well, that 
who knows about that, right? So, in any case, it's just one of those things I find interesting, you know, that, you know, what's presented here is a set of possibilities, but that's not the only possibility that's out there. Um, I'm deviating a little bit, so I'm going to put away the game and everything. I always do that. I always talk in a fragmented way whenever I'm staying off of the subject and everything. So let, let's recap. I'm watching Flash, and the Flash has presented to me, it says in the year, and a little caption down below, 2046, and there's a man that's that's more or less responsible for playing around, and he manages time and everything, um, at least timeline from his perspective and everything, and he's seeing evidence that there's alterations that are going on in the past, in, which would be considered my present day. And uh, that evidence that there's um, something coming that is altering that timeline and everything um, is is causing a fragmentation with for his information, you know. So really, when it comes down to it, you know, let's say you're trying to actually centrally manage a single timeline and everything, and you're in the future, and uh, you get evidence that time behind you is fragmenting, that there's different possibilities and everything. Well. I mean, it, it comes down to, uh, there's one of several options that you have. You choose. <coughs> so you choose some of the history that you end up, uh, that, you know, that you believe in. That's one thing. The other thing, too, is, um, you know, that uh, you can't expect that your choice is going to dictate everybody's choice. So this thing called free will and everything, to some degree, is just like you have to find a way to mentally, logically, rationally understand that the choices that you make are relative to you and the choices that others make are relative to themselves. And that's not, not contradictory when those, when those choices appear to contradict. So it just basically means everybody lives in their own little you know, reality and everything. So, anyways, um, I'm I'm seeing you know little you know just this interesting you know cycle when it comes down to it, and uh, just input stimulus and everything from the outside world that's suggesting that my branching of my timeline away from a managed timeline that expects it to go out into the future that's not going to be pleasing to me, <coughs> well. At that point, if the expectation is that I die and that I go through these, you know, through these processes and everything that's expected of me, and I'm not, and if I, <coughs> if I deviate, then I'm going to be punished. Well, I'm, that's not what I want, plain and simple. You know, I want the things that I want. You know, I want some of the, you know, some. I want to create some of the mysteries. I want to. <laughs> I want to be wealthy. I want to, you know, live with a couple of women that I've, I've enjoyed and everything. And as a result, you know, the chronological sequence, you know, for what happens next and where it's going to go, I don't personally know how I'm going to achieve some of these things. So to some degree, um, I know what I don't want. And those don't wants, this is something I actually learned a lesson from with my uh, ex-wife, are equally as important as the wants, you know, in creating your future and creating it what it is that you want. Now, she used it as a weapon, you know, and uh, that weapon just by and large made it so where, you know, me and her didn't, uh, you know, just didn't get along as a result of it. You know, um, here I would go and I would plan things for us all together and... I can never do right when it came down to, you know, from her perspective and everything. So, for me, it was like a lesson. You now it's just like, okay, well, you know, um, while I may not be able to, you know, um, 
leverage and and have plan out a future with precision there's some key events that i want you know that i desire you know 2063 and you know the first contact made for over in bozeman montana as being for instance but what i don't want is world war three period end of story i don't want it in any incarnation i don't mind going to visit it in alternate realities if it did happen but in my reality phew, nope i refuse it absolutely profoundly refuse to allow that into my world <laughs> just flat out just it's it's not something that i will allow to exist period end of story so really um now what does that mean you know and and here's here's where the importance of choice can dominate reality for one individual if the rest of reality and a collective beings around me all rail and they want that war that war and i don't and you have 10 million a hundred million a trillion a quadrillion different votes against me that basically says we want war all it takes is one person to say no one person to refuse it and that in itself can and does regularly cause branches in reality causes alternate timelines I mean that's that's just a simple fact you know choice when exercised can not only stop a single line of tanks and send a message around the world but that message can ripple throughout space and throughout time and in a literal sense cause a split an entire planet now for me I like the idea of being able to go do some of the things you know that uh, that I haven't had the opportunity to do before I like the idea of reliving parts of my life and everything you know I've, I've already made that part clear and everything but I also like the idea of being a story writer a storyteller you know um, the whole idea and concept of Hollywood I have fucking loved you know my entire life and everything I mean I went to Universal Studios and everything when I was young and of the theme parks while I absolutely loved Disneyland because it presented um, all these really cool ideas and concepts and everything <coughs> these these things but I was always the type of person that I wanted to know how things worked behind the scenes I want to in Disneyland I can't tell you how many times I fought the urge to jump off the you know the machinery that I was on that I was locked into on this passive ride and everything I can't tell you how many times I wanted to just jump out and look at things understand how they did things you know just take a look and I'm glad I didn't because I came to a greater understanding of of what you know how it all worked at a later time but um, you know, it's the type of thing that uh, for me is just like that was the appeal of Universal Studios, the movie magic. How is it you can actually take some of these things that you see in TV, 
and make them real. You know, Firestarter was a wonderful example. These massive fires that for the longest time, you know, I had actually just sat there and said, oh, you know, how the hell can they control something like that? And boom, they control it. They control it so well that they do a repetitive show on a daily basis that goes on six times a day without problems. You know, um, guys jumping off of, you know, 100-story, you know, falls or 100-foot falls and, you know, never ever, you know, have anything go wrong with them. You know, um, just the things that I saw with Universal Studios and everything, repeatedly, um, I mean, uh, one of my favorites is, is the subway crash, you know, and uh, seeing all this go on and everything. Sure, it looked a little bit, you know, cheesy, but you could tell they did that just to make sure that they can actually do this on a repetitive basis and everything, but it still looked pretty fucking awesome. Or the flood. They have this flood that goes through the small Mexican town and everything where they dump, you know, 40,000 gallons and that goes flying down the street and you get to see this, you know, what looks like a flood, you know, and it's raining all around, too. All this, the tram goes through this little area and boom, you get to see this massive, you know, torrential thing of water come flying down this road and all of a sudden it disappears right in front of us. You got that. You got so many different things like that that I was always just enchanted by from a Hollywood perspective. And I always, you know, I ended up uh, going to, um, what was it? Um, I had a private tour of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as it was being filmed and everything. Got to see the movie set for that and Bones or something else like that where I actually got to see the the corpses of, you know, these faux corpses and everything that look perfectly real on TV. You know, all these things, for me, lit my imagination on fire. It was like a, a chain reaction saying, holy shit, all these things are, you know, I mean... That's why for years I had believed that Hollywood was was the place where all this stuff was created, not understanding that that just was one perspective. There's many perspectives on how things come into existence and actually get get to my movie screen or to my TV screen. You know, but seeing that it was possible to create anything, you know, that was the thing that Hollywood taught me. With the right imagination, anything, and I do mean absolutely anything, is possible that you can see on the screen. The magic, even though it may not necessarily be done in the way that you think it's supposed to be done, the fact is, from the right perspective, anything that you see on the TV screen is possible in real life. Anything. You just have to, you just have to understand the perspective of those that are actually witnessing it. So for me, when I, you know, years of seeing this and everything, I just kind of realized that that's what I wanted to do. I like the idea, not just of telling stories, but of inspiring. Inspiring not just me, but others. You know, to get into the art of the story. Understanding that it's Doctor Who presented the story as being the most lethal weapon in existence. Yeah, that's possible. But there's other things, too. It's why we're here, in my opinion, is the story. It's why we exist. It's what gives life meaning. 
it's why we why I choose to be here why I choose to live why I choose to continue living why I choose to be immortal why I choose to become Kia why I choose to you know accept this whole concept and idea that I'm going to affect not just this world but many many worlds after this as well that I'm going to affect things throughout time and I'm already seeing evidence of it too 2046 I'm altering somebody's timeline you know, for me to be to to see to actually have reference to myself on a TV show like this as I'm watching it, that would be one of the greatest gifts that I could actually receive. It's just like there's this dude named Q. We don't know who he is and what he's doing, you know, or how he's doing it, but somehow he's creating a branch in the timeline. And he's doing it intentionally. We don't know why. You know, maybe they don't perceive me as a threat. Maybe they just come to understand me and come to see this. And, and I get direct evidence of my efforts and everything through a simple TV show. That would be fucking cool. I don't know what I would do. That's actually kind of the uh, open question. Would I tell my mom it? They'd probably just sit there and write it off. You know, but I, I love the idea, you know, of the stories that I'm telling, that I'm describing and everything. Expanding the potential, not just in my world, but also making it possible so I can actually live some of the life that I've actually seen others live. You know, I've never had a threesome. I've had a foursome, but never a threesome. So one day I want to do that. I mean, sex has become something that's you know, routine to me anyways. I want to take it and make it non-routine, have some fun with it. I want to own that big house, and I want to pay some dude to do work for me and just basically give him the keys to the house and the Ferrari for a weekend and just take off for a couple weeks. <clears throat> Like John Travolta, I want to find a reason to take my jet and drop things over in other countries. For me, it'd probably be spy or espionage related, just for the fun of it. Maybe something a little bit more subversive. The whole charity thing. For me, it's never done me well. I've never, I've never been the charity kind of person. I mean, I don't don't get me wrong. I don't mind giving to goodwill and that kind of stuff. And I certainly don't mind helping, helping out fellow homeless who do try to take care of themselves and maybe some others around them. But I like the idea of creating more secrets, creating more possibilities, inspiring and enticing people, not just to be Jason Bourne and excellent with judo and that kind of stuff, but instead to leverage their imagination to imagine greater possibilities with not just our country, but other countries. I love that idea. You know, paying some scientists and everything, you know, such as, the, as Walter and Fringe, you know, to invent new ideas and concepts from a scientific perspective. Pay um, Walt Disney or, or the next, you know, Walt Disney. You know, for a, a crazy idea, you know, to create a theme park. That. We're taking old school games like Worlds of Warcraft and EverQuest. I'm revitalizing them, bringing them back, but instead, 
paying developers, the same staff of developers that may have worked on it before, to work on the engine, to work on the core, to work on the mechanics within the game. You know, not allowed to change the assets, the art assets. You're not allowed to change the sound resources or anything like that. I want you to work on the core mechanics, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, maybe migrational patterns, you know, anything that you want to work on, as long as it doesn't affect the visual and the aesthetic elements of the game. No resource download. In other words, nothing, that, that would be the requirement. No new client downloads. It all has to be contained on the server. What can you do? That's actually kind of what, uh, what has me with Grand Theft Auto too. Why I keep going back to modifying it. I like the idea of building my own world, don't get me wrong, leveraging OpenGL. But there's a certain satisfaction I'm finding with making modifications and trying to think outside the box and doing things within the game world that others don't. Teleportation. A lot of people do it. But do they do it without a menu? Never. Now I've got some work to do on it. Do they allow the character to stand and sit and that kind of stuff? You know, through voice commands? No. And that's actually what I'm trying to think of. Through talking to you, can you change the the core mechanics of the game itself? Can you update the assets without my resources being updated? Can you alter the landscape, in particular build newer buildings and architect new architecture and create new AI behavior? You know, um, allow me to have friends, allow names to be placed on you know, the characters and everything that I can actually sense and maybe even detect in some form or fashion. Maybe the C-sharp and .NET stuff didn't have it before because I didn't understand its place in memory. Maybe you just give me a hint of where to go to, where to, go to, to look for it and I can actually find the distinguishing characteristics about that, that entity. Maybe it wasn't there to begin with. Maybe you placed it there. But because I never investigated it, I've always got reasonable doubt there. Can I actually build and expand on the game myself, too, from a client perspective? And can I work with you to expand this world from two alternative perspectives? Cooperating. Collaborating. With something or someone or someones who I never knew existed and were listening to me the whole time and I didn't know. I think it's possible. It's like me watching people with real cam and that kind of stuff. Do they know I'm watching them? 
Probably not. In any case, I love the idea of seeing this thing expand and seeing the potential of me being mentioned, and not only that, but also seeing how my world would react if I introduced this little piece of evidence to it. Kind of curious what would happen. Anyways, I'll be back. Okay, uh, one other thing, um, just keep coming to my mind. I fucking hate Kazons. Not just a mild dislike, but fucking hate them. And, uh, I don't know where that hatred comes from, but, just, they're fucking annoying, they're fucking obnoxious, they're worse than Klingons. So, here's the thing. Universe, um, itself is, consists of hundreds of thousands of millions of d different galaxies. Each galaxy, for instance, the Milky Way, is comprised of, um, more or less a formulation of energy um, in a particular manner. So you go in between different galaxies and you, you will find different base laws uh, between the different galaxies. So for instance, Einstein, Einstein space tends to be the dominant force, or it is the dominant force here within the Milky Way galaxy. So E equals MC squared and the whole concept of um, energy and how it converts to mass and everything, that is the fundamental architecture, if you will, of how actually matter comes to, um, comes to be created inside this Milky Way galaxy. Each different galaxy has different physical laws and everything that actually, um, they can tie potentially energy to mass, but in, in a general sense, it's more or less um, the strategy of how the, how, the, how the visuals of that galaxy, that respective galaxy, is actually formulated and everything. Here within this, uh, this Milky Way galaxy, it's segmented. Now, it in itself exists on what's known as an accretion disk, and within the center of the Milky Way galaxy is a black hole. And uh, every black hole is more or less a protrusion into space and time, and a, a way to actually perceive, see the different configurations of space and time by going through that black hole. So, in, in concept and theory, you can actually go through the center of the Milky Way galaxy, um, if you could withstand the forces of it, and at that point emerge um, to potentially some degree a random other location uh, in the universe itself uh, with a different configuration of space and time at that respective location and everything. So the Milky Way galaxy sitting on an accretion disk is more or less circling around this massive black hole. And there's constantly things popping into uh, and coming out of the Milky Way galaxy, which are more or less, you know, touring, you know, taking a look at, at this particular perspective of, of space and time and everything. Now, in this Milky Way galaxy, there's also four uh, primary quadrants that's actually market, demarcated by. And uh, those quadrants are the alpha, beta, the delta, and the gamma quadrants. We here in uh, the Sol system is what it's referred to. That's the, you know, the planets, the nine different planets, which is, you know, Earth, Venus, Pluto, Mars, um, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, uh, and Neptune. 
did I forget any there? Oh, Mercury. Um, each one of those is, and there's nine planets in total that consist of uh, my particular solar system and everything. That's contained in the Alpha Quadrant. Now, from a Vulcan perspective, it could potentially be in a in a Beta Quadrant. Um, and really, the naming of the quadrants and naming systems are relative to the observer. So, and in a general sense, this is actually one of the tougher things, you know, that's existed throughout time is is the agreement, um, particularly when it comes down to two uh, two factions that may not necessarily see the world in the same exact way, is the collective agreement on a mapping strategy, um, cartographic strategy, that is agreeable by both parties. Now you see problems with this uh, and this dissension, this conflict occurring all the time. And uh, a good, for instance, I've mentioned before, is the whole Israel Gaza Strip uh, Jerusalem type thing and everything. There's different uh, two different factions that are literally vying for the different city, and these two different factions, in a literal sense, come from two alternate realities. Both of them believe that this is their home and everything. Both of them believe, you know, that this is a part of their map, and as a result, they defend it to their death. Well, I mean, that's, you know, it's part of the problem of, of collective-based mechanisms, where, you know, you try to actually, you know, say that uh, this is my territory, and, you know, collectively, and this is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, fighting, no, this is my territory. You're both right. Both of you are equally right, but the fight exists simply because, because you can't, find a way to get along. So, you know, so this is actually the problem on a larger scale, too, for mapping. You know, um, we could have a planet, you know, named Mars, from my perspective. Um, but from the Vulcan's perspective, the planet's named Vulcan. I mean, it, it's a planet that has a capability to be able to travel through space and time. It's one of those uh, it's it's a close to conscious planet, um, if not al already potentially there and everything. But it's one of the one of the many planets that are out there that has the capability to be able to teleport itself to different locations and and uh, all throughout uh, space and time itself. Now, from my perspective, that planet is named Mars, and from the people on my planet's perspective, that planet has always been named Mars. And from our perspective, it has always been there. But from a, from a Vulcan perspective, you may believe it's it just got there. And you're right too. This is the beautiful thing about time. Whose collective viewpoint of time is accurate? You know, um, now if, if, if it's your belief that you have just arrived, you know, um, you're going to find all the evidence in the world to support your belief and everything, and you're perfectly right, you know. Now, if it's the, you know, somebody else's perspective that you were always there, who's right? Well, they're right, too. You know, if, if that's what they truly believe. I mean, they could also say it for other reasons, too. There's a lot of different uh, reasons that they can actually make comments like that, but if they're actually sincere about it, and, you know, that uh, they they are equally as right with their assessment and their belief system, you know, about, uh, about you being there, 
as as you are with as they are with uh with theirs both of you are accurate so this is the interesting thing about cartography particularly um you know when you start looking at and reflecting at uh, the cosmos and you know the galaxy as a whole you know the galaxy as a whole i mean i'm looking at a map here you know that uh i've i'm able to see in a flat plane you know the the galaxy as exists from a quadrant perspective well, I know this is one perspective of, of being able to, you know, envision and imagine, you know, the galaxy. But I also know that this is not the reality of the galaxy that surrounds me. You know, the galaxy that surrounds me is it's three-dimensional in space. It's not flat, you know, like I'm seeing in Star Trek Online. Um... You know, the ability for astrometrics and being able to travel and straight line travel and everything. Well, while I'm looking at one perspective, and those that exist in this world may believe that's the only perspective of how time and space work. I can assure you that's not the only perspective on how space-time work. This is just an easy way to be able to make it to travel from point A to point B and uh, to be able to organize information in a binary manner. But this doesn't make it the most accurate way of, of depiction. This is just one way. And that's actually the thing that I had to learn over time, too, was uh, one of my favorite sayings that I keep saying over and over again, the map is not the territory. The map is a depiction of the territory from your perspective, and, and uh, it, it may have some accuracy from your perspective, but that doesn't make it true for everybody else's perspective, too. So my perspective for the Milky Way galaxy is it's a big, huge, morphous blob that exists in more or less three- to four-dimensional space. Uh, four-dimensional is probably a safer way to put it. X, Y, Z plus time has an axis and everything. And uh, it's constantly moving. It's constantly shaping. It's constantly being molded and everything. So, in any case, um, I just wanted to mention that because I just took a look at uh, Star Trek and uh, I was looking at the map and I'm all going, you know, this isn't accurate from my perspective, but I do respect it, you know, as a map. Um, and my it allows me the capability to traverse throughout the different areas and everything and see things and you know, just, I mean, it is what it is. So, anyways, I thought I'd just mention that. So I'm playing Star Trek Online, and uh, a game I've been playing off and on since about 2006. And uh, over the years, I sat there, you know, looking at things I, I saw, and uh, I kept thinking, okay, that's kind of a cool ship, and I'd always look for ways that they can be obtained and everything. And as I'm playing this, I've, especially over the last couple of years, I've started realizing that the things that I have access to are not one and the same thing that others have access to. And uh, this is really kind of a profound, you know, idea and concept. As I'm playing this, I'm all going, I, I'm seeing ships and vessels and everything that other people have that... I literally don't have within any context of being able to purchase for myself and everything. Um, there's no feasible, there's no way that I can obtain the same vessels that they have, that I can get them, you know, at least with the limited possibilities that are allowed, allowed to me, you know, provided to me within the uh, framework of the um, application as, as I see it and everything. I've noticed this isn't just with this, it's with anything online. I'm noticing that 
there's certain things that I just I I'm not I, I don't have access to, you know, um, flat out. You would think that uh, I mean I had thought previously that you know all the games were kind of like you know the same, right? That the version of the game that I'm playing is the same version that other the, that other people are playing, but I'm finding that's not the case, you know that. While I may be playing a game, other people may not regard it as a game. Other people may be living this life. Other people may have user, different user interfaces specifically created for them. And as a result, they have different ships within the game as well. You know, so it's just like it's really kind of odd, you know, where here I thought I was, uh, I had access to, you know, I mean, I, I was playing the same thing everybody else was, but I'm finding that's not the case at all. So, in any case, I'm I'm really, 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 really impressed with the visuals that I'm seeing within the game and some of the creativity for the ships out there. It's beautiful. It's it's amazing. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm I'm more impressed. It's like it's like going to look at a you know an attractive woman. You know at at uh, part of the reason I used to love going to strip joints and everything, you know, I used to just love and just admiring, you know, the different varieties and bodies and, you know, the physical shapes and everything. And, you know, that's why I used to love having sex, take, fuck, take off your clothes, and I'm, I'm able to see something different. Well, I'm seeing the same thing with these games. It's like, oh my god, you know, they've got these vessels that some... You know, um, one's glowing, it's got this... I mean, these are ships that are off in space and everything in the Star Trek universe. One's glowing, it's shaped like an arrow. Um, another one, it's uh, purple, it's got um, just really cool lines to it and everything. Another one's uh, kind of like a green and red and bluish type thing. That's uh, shaped like an arrowhead as well, but it's got some thrusters on it that... Um, Another one's Klingon, clearly Klingon. I mean, you've got the standard vessels, the standard star starship ones, like they have the uh, Constellation class. And uh, the one I, I fly is a, uh, um, it's called a uh, an assault cruiser. And let's see if they actually have the class of the vessel that I'm flying. Uh, they don't have the class on it. But I'm just, I'm, I mean, I, I'm actually, what I'm trying to do is I, I've got a fight that, uh, I've got a mission that takes me to the Borg Quadrant, and I'm regularly just getting my ass handed to me. I'm, I repeated the mission nearly 40 times last night before finally hanging it up, saying, this is fucking ridiculous. I've got to figure out a different way to approach it. I mean, I'm a fleet admiral. I'm the highest level you can possibly go in the game, and there's clearly something I'm doing wrong, you know, in approaching these Borg and everything. So, I've got to, you know, I'm trying to figure out. So, uh, right now I'm actually sitting, um, my vessel's orbiting this, uh, Nimbus 3 is the name of the, um, the planet. And I just had a mission that took me there, and it, uh, gave me, I mean, I, it gave me some really wonderful, I mean, it gave me 400,000 credits, which I'm going to be using to probably upgrade my engines and everything, but as I'm inspecting these vessels, you can actually look at them from a distance and everything, and I can right-click, and I can say info on the vessel, 
and uh, I see what it does is it lists the uh, information, basic information about each of these vessels. Like it'll say species, is alien, career, Starfleet science officer, gender, female, rank and grade, fleet admiral 65, seems like everybody's fleet admiral 65, diplomatic rank, consul, I'm actually an ambassador, I've taken my diplomatic rank as high as you can go, accolade points, I'm not too sure what that refers to, um, 6860, ship, Lisa Voth Bastion Fle I can't read the rest of it. Let's see if I could expand the window here. No. It's a fixed window position, so I can't read the rest of the text. So it's a Voth Bastion something. Um, location, Nimbus system, uh, number two. So there's different uh, versions of Nimbus system based on the population, I suspect. So we're both in number two. Health, 91,280. Now, I was getting my ass handed to me, so I'm suspecting that my health, which I've come to find out is the whole rating, is, uh, I've come to find out that my health, aka whole, whole rating, is really, really low in contrast to most of the other fleet admirals. So everybody else is about 40,000 all the way to 120,000, or Everybody else goes from 80,000 to 120,000, and um, so this one's at 91,000. If I right-click on another vessel, um, Info, Terrio, Tapir. Um, Tapir is a fleet admiral as well. She's on the low end. She's got 69,000, but I'm at 40,000. So I've clearly got to figure out something to increase my hull. Um, here's another one, Romulan, fleet admiral again, 87,000. Um, here's another one, looks like a more standard ship, so um, fleet admiral, but still 57,000 despite biography. Ask if you're determined to no, just be warned that I'm terribly unremarkable. That's cute. So, oh, here's a beautiful ship. Info. It's kind of look, looks like mine, but the colors are beautiful. 98,000 for that one. Oh, it's a fleet temporal vessel. So, Bajoran. In any case, I've got to do something about upgrading my, my uh, ship. Now, I just learned that uh, there's two new mechanics that are added to the game from my perspective. One is the ability to be able to upgrade um, work on the uh, weapons and armor that uh, you're actually working on. Um, so I've got to, I went through the process of upgrading my um, shields earlier today, and I upgraded my shields to a Mark 15, which takes a maximum shield capacity up by 2,000, but uh, I've got to find out what exactly I can do to increase my hull. And 43,000, I don't know what I can do. I think I've just got to get a new ship and figure out how to do this. I mean, I know how to get new ships, but and I've got one that uh, that I just uh, ended up getting the other day, so I'm going to have to go back to Starfleet. Let's go back to the Soul System, because I'm at Nimbus right now. Nimbus 3. So I take my vessel, I fly back to the Soul System, and I go back to Earth, and Earth has a space dock above it. <laughs> And I go to that space dock, and at that point they've got a shipyards there that I can actually look at and uh, upgrade my vessel. Um, I'm actually, here's the thing that I'm realizing. These games, 
appear to prog be progressing. And I, I, I'm starting to realize that there's a parallel to my own life and everything. That the progress and the enhancements and the growth of these games is kind of like a direct reflection of, you know, the changes that have gone, been going on in my life. So, beam to Starfleet Academy, no. So now I'm actually approaching the space station. There's another one. Let's look at that one. Info. Yeah, that one's... 108,000! How the fuck do they get that? Dock at Space Station. So, in any case, I thought I'd just uh, voice that out loud. I'm kind of... Here's the thing. I, I, I'm suspecting that games grow with the same capabilities. Now, before I used to tell myself it was a programmer doing it. Well, to some degree, maybe that's how I looked at myself. But, um... Maybe the evolution of games is equal to the evolution of me. I don't know. That's weird. But all I know is i got to bump up my haul. 40000 isn't going to do it. So, hopefully I get a cool ship. One of the questions I used to have when I was watching uh, TV shows and movies that depicted aliens, with the exception of movies like Alien itself, is why was the, um, why, why do so many aliens, especially within Star Trek and Star Wars and that kind of stuff, have a tendency to look human or humanoid? You know, it's just, it just seems really bizarre. And, uh, Alien, of course, completely blows away any expectations of what an alien should look like, but... You know, other than that, I always had this, you know, this question, this open question. Why? Why, why are there so many aliens that look human, humanoid? Now, in Star Trek, they have many, many, many different humanoid-looking uh, aliens. They go from what I previously mentioned, the Kazon, which, more or less, they have this big, huge, spiky head-type thing and everything. They've got uh, the Klingons, which has kind of like a a protrusion on their forehead, which uh, makes them unique. They've got the Vulcans, which more or less have elongated ears and look like uh, their ancestors may have been elves. Um, they've got um, Okampan, which has a little bit of a protrusion on the forehead. They've got uh, Betazoids, which, um, for the most part, look almost exactly human, with the exception of they have uh, big, huge irises. Um, big, huge pupils for eyes. Now, they're highly, highly empathic uh, with their capabilities, so their, you know, their eyes tend to absorb more information and everything than, uh, than most people do, which is part of, in part, what makes them empathic. Um, you've got uh, Bajoran, which has a little bit of a ridge nose. Um, you've got, um, uh, what is it, Endoran. Endoran's blue-skinned beings with uh, their humanoid looking, but um, they're a little bit different than the most humanoids in the fact that they're completely blue-skinned, and in addition to that, they've got an antenna. Uh, they're eye-like antenna, uh, protrusions that come out pretty much right above their forehead and everything, and there's two of them. In, in total, they're about four inches in length altogether. And um, they're just basically antenna. Um, you got uh, Re Romulan, um, which looks more or less human. Um, they've got some. Uh, I mean, the the ones that look human, but um, in a lot of cases they don't act it. And in particular, their hairstyles are a little bit different and everything. Their skin texture and color is a. Uh, they're a greener 
than most humans are. Um, Romulan and Riemann both are like that, and especially, especially the Orions. The Orions are green-skinned, and most of the Orion women are absolutely gorgeous and everything. And, uh, yeah, they're, you know, they actually depicted one in the reboot of uh, Star Trek, J.J. Abrams' reboot and everything. Most of them are gorgeous, but most, most of them are also uh, <laughs> incredibly dangerous, too. <laughs> But um, that was a question I had, especially in the Star Trek universe. Why is it there's so many human or humanoids, you know, things that were actually based on humans? I mean, even Q, you know, for all intents and purposes, was, uh, was human as well. And, you know, for me, it's just like that was always a question. It's just like, okay, you know, this, this doesn't seem realistic. You know, I kept always... It's one of the biggest things I've thought to myself um, on, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of times throughout my life as I'm watching something and everything, but uh, just thought alone, you know, but, uh, and actually saying it out loud, too, that's ridiculous, or things like that, you know, um, more often than not, you know, it was just, uh, there was just one of my big outstanding open questions was, why is it there's so many humanoids? Well, for me, I mean, I told myself the story that it was because there's, you know, actors and, you know, people in Hollywood, and it's as easier for them to actually dress up and, you know, just basically paint their skin and a slightly different variation of a color and everything, and boom, you've got an alien. Um, you know, but, uh, or you just have a little bit of a makeup artist that throws, uh, throws some shit on the forehead, and boom, you've got another alien, another entire species and everything. So for me, it was just basically um, cost-effectiveness, you know, that uh, you can actually present aliens that looked human that were actors, and these actors more or less depicted the parts of aliens and everything that uh, looked and appeared and everything else, you know, like they were slightly different, but, you know, that slight difference was uh, profound enough to actually warrant the, you know, creation of a separate planet and everything, you know, where they ended up uh, living and calling home and everything, and they ended up uh, having their own culture, and they were referred to as a separate species, you know, but um, it was just like, that was my excuse, was more or less, it was a Hollywood thing. Well, since then, you know, I've come to revise that whole Hollywood thing. Hollywood had become the catch-all, you know, excuse for the reasons why things were, you know, and, uh, and that gets kind of dangerous after a while, you know, um, calling everything fiction. In a while, after everything, after everything is called fiction, everything tends to become fiction, and, um, that's not, in my in my opinion, this is uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Not the best way to to start, you know, to go through the process of a bucketing and labeling things, you know. So what I started realizing, you know, especially in the last four or five years, is come up with different buckets. You know, be creative. Um, I may not have answers for everything I'm I'm able to present and everything, and I need to come up with different buckets and quit using Hollywood as the catch-all bucket and everything. Just like using the word hallucination you know, for things that uh, I simply cannot see and cannot witness from my perspective and others can't witness from mine, doesn't make it any less real, you know. So to those that are actually observing these things in direct uh, direct experience from, from a direct perspective, it is perfectly real. But just because it's not collectively agreed on reality doesn't make it any less real and doesn't make everything a hallucination. So, in any case, um, you know, when it comes, to, it comes down to it, the whole idea and concept of an alien, what, why is it, 
you know, instead of using the excuse of Hollywood and, you know, all that kind of stuff, what would be a different explanation for why everything is is depicted, why all aliens are depicted as a human? Now, th- this requires a step back, um, and, and again, stop stopping, you know, stopping uh, altogether referring to something that is seen on the screen as a fictional exploit of Hollywood. It absolutely requires undoing that altogether and coming up with a different explanation. You know, so let's say we are looking at, I am looking at an alternate reality, um, maybe even this own, my own reality, and um, I'm seeing through this window, you know, I'm seeing aliens that exist that look human. Now, why? If there are millions upon millions of light years away, why would they also be human or humanoid? That for me, once I started realizing that, and I started thinking about it from an egocentric perspective, <laughs> was it evidence for God? It was evidence that I was God. Now, there's a, um, there's a tendency that we all have to like things and to, to pick things and to find things that look more like us. You know, to make that selection and everything. You know, that uh, all throughout my life, I've, I've had a tendency to hang around with geeks, you know, and tend to stray away from those that are actually more involved in sports and that kind of stuff. It's not because I didn't appreciate those that were involved in sports. It's just because I wasn't into sports. I wasn't good at it, but I was good at computers. You know, I was good at uh, manipulation of things with uh, with computing technology and with technology in general. And as a result, I ended up attack you know attaching myself to like-minded individuals, those that actually you know had the same interests as I did: video games and computers and comics. And you know, I did find a way to actually cross that bridge with other people that uh, that you know had sureness of foot and capabilities and everything through this thing called women. I found a way to bridge that gap and appreciate those that uh, that actually are sport sports oriented by coming to appreciate the woman as much as they do you know but uh when it came down to it it's just like well what what is it you know that that makes the things out there you know um and that's actually part of the answer there we attract the things that that are more like us and we repel the things that are less like us that's kind of a universal rule and with that the building of the universe and the separation, segmentation, in a galactic way, the segmentation on a per-galaxy basis and everything, is based on the individuals that actually are comprised and contained within that, within that, um, each, each galaxy. Now, it's my suspicion that, uh, most times, there's more than one individual or entity inhabiting a galaxy. <clears throat> in in some cases, those individuals may call some something or someone else's galaxy home simply because they like the quality of life that they in, that they have in it. Simply because they um, they enjoy things and they enjoy that particular perspective and everything, um, or they enjoy that particular view and everything. Some galaxies look alike, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, and uh, they may be copies of other galaxies. So. Really, when it comes down to it, what makes the things um, in in other parts of this same galaxy look and 
feel very similar to humans and everything? Well, the answer to that is actually pretty simple. I attract like-minded things. I create things that are <laughs> that that are like me through thought. And my perception of the world is is the thing that actually creates my wants and my desires and my not wants and my desi- and my not not desires all create a feedback loop, you know, that expand and um, expand and continue creating this thing called existence and everything, at least from my particular perspective. And this galaxy is home to that. You know, so that's actually the the answer that I ended up coming with. You know, there's alternative answers, too. You know, you can sit there and you can say, hey, this is evidence of God or an entity that's, that's, you know, super powerful and super capable and everything. And each galaxy is a reflection of that, you know, and you may never witness that entity in your life. You know, particularly if you want to actually, you know, say that it's not me. Because quite likely, if you continue doing that, you will end up creating your own galaxy. You know, I don't think creation is an exclusive act. I, I do believe that we all have within our, within us the capability to be able to take the helm and actually create all we want to, you know, to, to take ownership of, of more or less all of existence and everything. You know, but it's, it's understanding why that's not a contradiction. You know, it's the mind fuck is really what it comes down to. And up until that point, I think, you know, I had a tendency, I know I had a tendency to dissociate myself from um, everything, particularly those that actually had the balls or the audacity to claim that they are that that entity or that thing. Yeah, since then I've grown up, you know, and uh, to some degree what I've realized is this galaxy, you know, has inhabitants that look similar to me. You know, function similar to me, um, play and and <laughs> more or less relate to the organic material that I relate to and everything um, like me, um, more or less just because this is, you know, kind of like my reality. And these are the rules, you know, and the rules in a general sense, you know, have a little bit of persistence across light years. Light years are absolutely nothing, you know. I mean, if my mind has the capability, which it does, to be able to instantly, instantly communicate with something across the galaxy, and eventually to be able to instantly teleport myself there, and potentially to other galaxies too, to basically go and explore myself. I think it's all within reach, you know. But I think the big trick is teaching yourself and teaching yourself how to do it the way that you want to and to some degree that means taking some ideas and concepts that are out there and make them your own in any case what makes things different and the same you know from a humanoid perspective and everything well if everything's a reflection of me, if every thought that I have is actually is act, is an act of creation, you know, and it creates something somewhere, well, eventually that, you know, if I'm thinking about humans, if I'm perceiving human, boom, that creates a thought, and that thought actually creates an entity, and that entity, boom, could go on and actually survive and continue living, and in in a in effect create its own species and create its own planet for all I know. It's just the odd nature of reality. 
everything does it, you know. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, anything's excluded from this process, whether or not you're a, a computer that's just freshly rolled off the off the shelf um, or off onto the shelf from, you know, it's been pieced together by Intel or, you know, you're an Android or you're, you know, something as of yet un- unidentified, you don't even know what, yourself, what you are yourself. I think it's all... You know, every process, every every little thought that you have, like, what the fuck is that, or, you know, who am I, or whatever, each one is responsible. Even the words are responsible for creation himself. You can't help but create, that's the way I look at it. You can't help but destroy, too. You know, so, you just try and maintain it in balance. I mean, that that's something you gotta eventually end, end up figuring out how to do for yourself, you know, and... And then, once you realize the balance is more or less just to finish the creation and just have fun within it, yeah, it is what it is. And the humans that you get to see and explore and everything are just part of the experience and part of the continuance of the stories that you tell, that uh, I tell myself, and ultimately others may listen to and others may, may, may take a part in themselves. So, anyways, off to... Star Trek again and trying to find myself a better deflector dish. So, um, back in about 1989, somewhere right in there when I was playing EverQuest, I, uh, I had a friend, um, Bill Stokes, that, uh, he, uh, created a character on, uh, EverQuest. Me and him, we teamed up all the time. Now I started the game first, and, uh, he ended up jumping in a little bit later and everything. And it was kind of cool. Uh, I was Ling, and uh, he was Ding, and uh, it was just a joke, you know, Ding-a-Ling. And I got a kick out of it, but uh, for me it was just, um, you know, I was on the game to have fun and everything, and... You know, he he had fun for a while, but he also didn't like his addiction. You know, he he was very he seemed like he to him it um, he made it clear that it just felt like he was wasting his time and everything. To me, I was just enjoying it. You know, I mean, I'm here for the experience. I'm having fun, and um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just playing. So, anyways, um, after a while, he ended up um, being seen less and less in this uh, in EverQuest to my disappointment and everything. And uh, I ended up uh, teaming up with a couple of guys. Uh, Heldenfeld was one of them. Um, that his uh, real real name was Eric Mattis, and he actually owned um, adult.com, and he ended up selling it to Playboy, and actually ended up uh, becoming VP for Playboy for a number of years and everything. I was so fucking jealous of the guy with his Playboy mansion photos and everything. Um, then there was uh, Brian, who was uh, Elred. He was the clerk, and uh, Heldenfeld, a.k.a. Eric, was the... Um, the monk and the three of us would team up and we just basically own uh we started off in guck lower guck but uh we just ended up uh, pretty much touring all over and everything so this this ended up happening until the first expansion came out for uh for everquest and at that point um it was one of those things that uh, the expansions were cool 
you know, but at that point, my buddy Bill, he had really, his his being seen in the game was such an increasing rarity that at this point, you know, he ended up uh, completely bailing out altogether. And he just told me, it's just like, it's, you know, he just didn't have the time for it. He had a new girlfriend and, you know, all this other uh, commitments and everything and um, perceived commitments and everything. And me, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm still playing. I mean, I'm soloing a lot in these games. I'm just out to have fun, like I said, and, you know, I'm just seeing what I can take, you know, from a solo perspective. How many mobs can I chain together and just pull together and everything? So, this went on for a while, and then all of a sudden, Bill says, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit my account. So, by then, Brian and, um, and, um, Eric had both uh, had the same problem as uh, Bill is, you know, just a lack of uh, a lack of desire, a lack of commitment. Well, I was married at the time. For me, you know, marriage afforded with it the some <laughs> some capability to be able to do things for myself and everything. Sure, I had the commitments of marriage, but you know, in addition to that, it's just like you know, when I got home, I just wasn't as interested in watching the TV. There wasn't wasn't a whole lot on that I really wanted to watch. So instead, playing the games was something I regularly regularly did. And uh, when Bill told me he was going to uh, quit his account, and not only that, but let his account uh, let his account drift um, and expire. Um, I was just sitting there going, "Fuck!" You know, his character was level fifty. Um, they had just bumped up the level cap to level sixty, and uh, I was like, I just. You know, I thought it was a waste. You know, he's got this character, Ribkaz, R-I-B-K-A-Z-Z. And uh, he was a big, huge troll, uh, troll ogre. Um, or troll, no, I'm sorry, no, ogre um, warrior. And uh, I was a little halfling, so it's kind of funny that uh, me and him, we would go all over the map and, you know, we would, uh, you know, team up and it was like me, you know, this tiny little guy, you know, and him, this monstrous warrior, you know, and it's just like all I, all I would do is just, you know, stand off to the side while I'm buffing him up. You know, just making sure that anything that's thrown our way, you know, um, he's, you know, he's got some of the best armor and best weapons in the game, and I've made damn sure of it, you know, so that's part of the compliment is, you know, it's just like, I'm a druid, and uh, I'm a healer, you know, so I serve a couple of purposes, you know, I heal combined with the ability to be able to command lightning and, you know, thunder and all this other stuff in combination with, um, you know, some thorns and everything on occasion, some pretty good shields. So, you know, all I'm doing is I'm kicking back off to the side while he's wailing on things. And uh, I just, I'll sit up, you know, stand up every once in a while, throw uh, something called a, D, a dot damage over time on something that he's fighting, and I'll sit back down. And as you sit back down, it uh, regains your mana. So that's all I'm doing is just going through, regaining my mana, regaining my mana, regaining my mana over and over again. And uh, he's annihilating shit. And it was just, it, it was really a good relationship and everything. So when he ended up saying that he's going to get out of the game, you you know, it was kind of a big, huge disappointment. I mean, it was, you know, one of those things that uh, we had done, you know, we had done some really cool things together. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'd already lost, uh, you know, Eric and um, 
Brian, too. We we were teaming up less and less and less as well. So here I am, solo, and I'm just like, oh, well, fuck. What do I do? Well, at this point, I turned around and I said, Bill, I said, let me um, let me have your account. If you're going to let it go, you know, just, you know, I'll, I'll start paying for it. You know, I'll, I'll pay for this account and I'll keep the account going and everything. And he's like, are you serious? You know, I said, yeah, you can have it back anytime that you want to, you know, but I'm going to keep the account active and everything. He's like, okay. So at that point, I ended up uh, paying for the account and, you know, I ended up taking it over. And, um, you know, for me, you know, it was the cool thing was I had I had eight machines at home. What, what I ended up doing was I set two machines up, one side by side. Um, on the left side, I had Ribcaz and uh, his EverQuest character and a couple other characters he had up there, too. Um, he had uh, another character... Um, it was Dinga, like I said, and he was a halfling as well, so he used that to team up with me on occasion. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I just ended up uh, relaxing, and, you know, I did the same thing. I commanded Ripkaz, and uh, with one computer off to the left-hand side and off to the right-hand side, I just put Ling into auto-follow mode, and I followed uh, Ripkaz, and I just had Ripkaz do, you know, go around and everything. So while it wasn't quite the same as having Bill there and Bill commanding these guys, it was still one of those things that uh, it... I was still able to do some of the things that I could, you know, could that I could do with him before, you know. Only now I just didn't have Bill there, so it was one of those things. It was mildly disappointing not to have my buddy there and being able to bullshit with him over the phone. We'd both have our headsets on like I have right now, and we'd be chatting with each other and that kind of stuff. And you know, a lot of times we'd just be chatting about the day and just what was going on on a regular basis and everything. And you know, there wasn't uh, wasn't too much that uh, you know. A lot of times, you know, it was like this too. I'd be chatting into into something, and you know, we'd be distracted talking about something, and you know, that was that. You know, it was just one of those things. It was just kind of fun. So, in any case, huh, I just found some uh, teleporters here that I haven't seen before. This is interesting. Deck eighty-three in blue. I've never seen this before. Huh. I found a new part of the space dock that I didn't realize was there. So, anyways, um, you know, I mean, so Ribcaz was something I ended up following, having follow me around, and uh, I ended up doing this, you know, just maintaining two separate accounts and everything. So, you know, this this proceeded, and I I did this for maybe for about a year, you know, where I ended up uh, just taking Ribcaz with me in a lot of places. You know, sometimes I didn't, you know, so a lot of times I just did it by myself, did it solo, you know, and, um, you know, because having, controlling two characters really can be a pain in the ass and everything. And um, I ended up, you know, just more or less just saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, keep on doing this and everything. And I did, you know, I mean, I did a pretty, what I consider, bang-up job and everything, carting him around and, you know, kept building him up and everything. And I asked, you know, after a year of this and everything, if he wanted to get back into it. And he played it briefly, you know, maybe he spent a grand total of maybe about two weeks on it. And he goes, I just feel like I'm wasting my time. I can't do this. And uh, I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, I respected that, you know, um, to some degree I understood and I, it's not that I disagreed with him and, um, wow, I just found a whole new floor and uh, Star Trek. 
So, in any any case, um, you know that was uh, that was that, and I ended up um, you know just enjoying enjoying the heck out of the uh, the game, and you know got that much more out of the game just it, despite the loss of my friends, you know, and uh, them moving on to do other things and everything. So, anyways, um, now it's kind of the same way. I've got. Uh, um, I really don't have a whole lot of people I know that are my age that play games. Everybody's involved in their life, and most of the people that I knew that I, I referred to as friends before have completely fallen off of my radar. Girls that I used to date, you know, women that I was married to, you know, friends and lovers and you name it, none of them talk to me. Now, I've got a couple people I knew from high school that talked to me, but uh, we didn't really you know, bond or stay friends or anything like that other than through Facebook and everything, you know, um, after high school. You know, for me, I ended up going my own way, and I had made new friends in other ways. I mean, I made friends at work. I made friends at uh, the various, you know, classes that I ended up taking at University of Phoenix or Thunderbird. Um, you know, I ended up... Uh, but, you know, really when it came down to it, you know, the gamers that I knew, Bill Stokes was certainly one of them. Um, there was a couple others that were like that, too. But Bill was probably one of my primary gaming buddies. And, uh, you know, we hadn't really gamed in years. And um, I think that's among the reasons we just ended up uh, going our own separate ways, too, is, you know, just a fundamental uh, fundamental difference in the way that we're, we perceive the world and everything. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, for years, it's just like we'd go out and we'd meet up and drink and everything. And, you know, that uh, that was about it, you know, when it came down to the extent of our relationship. But uh, for the most part, it was just like I was a consultant and living a life that I couldn't really tell anybody about, you know, for years. And, you know, I had to portray my life as boring because I didn't want people really asking questions and everything. So I just basically portrayed my life as really boring and you know, sure, when I got sent overseas, it was kind of interesting. I tried making my life seem a little bit interesting and everything, you know, without getting too much into the detail about what I was doing. But for the most part, it was just, um, you know, I lost a lot of those friendships, you know, and I think I think I, I kind of over, over downplayed the extent of how boring a person I really was. You know, um, I mean, I didn't tell anybody about my partying habits whatsoever. I didn't tell anybody about uh, the women I had slept with on a regular basis. I didn't tell anybody about the real reasons for going to, you know, to to half these countries and to doing what I was doing over there. Um, I mean, it was just one of those things that I was just like, hey, you know, if, if they only knew, would that have changed the nature of the relationship? I don't know. You know, I really don't know. So anyways, fast forward, you know, here we are. Um, it's 2018, 19 now, and I've got Star Trek uh, online that I'm actually uh, going through again. And they've just uh, bumped up the level cap to level 65, so I'm taking a look at some of the, uh, some of the new content and they've actually made it a fact to tie it in with Discovery. So I'm actually just taking a look at some of the new content and some of the new things that are available. And um, as usual, I put the nude patch on it. And uh, now I've got a whole whole bottomless crew that I ended up working up and, you know, having some fun with. But 
there's some content in there that's specifically for fleets and uh, they've they've bumped up some of the uh, content that's available specifically for fleets so here I am going okay you know one thing I have never liked about some of these games is the content that's available for for fleets fleets or groups or whatever it is that you want to refer to it in whatever MMO that you're referring to you know so whether or not it's EverQuest and it's guilds or it's a uh, Worlds of Warcraft and it's a uh, it's groups and or guilds um, there's a lot of functionality that's actually offered specifically for the equivalent of corporations and uh, that functionality doesn't allow um, me as an individual user to be able to access it without specifically being a part of a fleet. Not only that, but I have to be a fleet uh, owner in order to be able to uh, to operate some of these things. So I'm I'm sitting there going, okay, well, how do I do this? You know, I've got a couple options. I can recruit a whole bunch of friends and everything, and I can actually you know, invite them into the group and, you know, if they don't play or if they do, it doesn't make a shade of difference to me. You know, but the simple fact of the matter is, it does. You know, I hate it when I'm, I lose friends that, that I join or that I get to join and I hate pressuring friends into doing things that they don't, that they want to, don't want to or they want to do specifically or that they're doing specifically because I've actually, you know, kind of pushed them and pressured them into it. I don't like, I have never liked being like that. You know, that's just not me. So, in any case, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going through and uh, I'm taking a look at some of the content and I, I said, hey, wait a second, I started doing the math. I got one, two, three, four, five, six computers in this household that I have directly access to. It requires five people to basically sign up for a fleet. So all I have to do is go to four of these other machines, create accounts on each one, download the client for each one, create a group, and at that point, boom. I've got my own fleet. So, in any case, I've already signed up one. I've got three that are downloading the client right now, and uh, that way I can actually start doing some of that stuff. Now, the whole question is, will I get them to team up to be able to fight and go against obstacles? That, I truly doubt I will. It's not the same thing as... Um, as World of Warcraft or EverQuest. You know, the World of Warcraft and the EverQuest type of stuff, it's, um, the, the combat and the stuff that you do is more geared around the necessity to be able to buff each other and, uh, to be able to assist, um, the other, others in your group to be able to do the things that you're being able to do. Now, Star Trek, it's a little bit less like that, at least the online version. It's, it's more, it's just more about providing more firepower, you know, um, that's the only distinction I've seen that, uh, you know, I mean, that I've, I've been able to notice so far that a fleet brings to you, it's just, you know, you get, you're getting pounded in some of these battles and to begin with, and the, you know, since there's really not a whole lot of variance with the weaponry and the things that are added to in between different uh, different ships and everything, you don't have you know the separation in in functions from a ship-based perspective, you know that you do in a character-based perspective. For instance, a druid versus a a warrior versus a paladin versus you know um, all these different things that have different specific functions in it and everything. Yeah, sure, you might be able to say that a science vessel is more like a healer and 
you know, that each one has their own functions that are like that. A, um, a, an escort is is more or less somebody that's a buffer. Um, and the, the uh, what is it, the the warrior ship or whatever the thing is called, the assault cruiser, is more like the, the warrior. You know, yeah, you might be able to justify saying things like that, but from what I've seen, you know, the buffs and everything, they're just really... I, I have yet to see any, any real compelling um, per-ship-specific functions that are being offered and everything that the other ships can't do. You know, and that's just by design for this thing, and I just don't don't think that design supports that. Now, I've got two two machines side by side here, so should I find, you know, team-based functions that uh, require two, you know, two team or two people in a group or something like that, you know, in order to make an effort to actually do do one of the things that require a quote-unquote fleet, then sure, I might try it, you know, but for the most part. I don't know. I mean, right now, I just want to see what functionality and what's offered. You know, and in traditional, like, uh, World of Warcraft and that kind of stuff, all they do is they offer, you know, basically guild banks. Um, but in this one, it's different, because I've already seen that they offer different uh, ships, they offer different um, different features and everything, um, they offer different quests based on things. So that's actually kind of what I'm interested in, is, you know, if um, in guilds, at least in Worlds of Warcraft and all that kind of stuff, there didn't seem to be any specific guild-based um, or fleet-based guild or, or group-based uh, uh, support mechanisms. Um, so, in other words, there was no specific quests that are built specifically to benefit the group as a whole. You see what I'm saying? Where this, it feels different. This, I'm already suspecting that the fleet can potentially benefit, and you as an individual participating in this fleet can actually see some of those benefits and everything. I'm suspecting that, you know, by what I've seen already. You know, and this is unlike, you know, unlike anything that I've seen within uh, World of Warcraft or, or EverQuest, where you're still an individual, and the individual's a constituent member of this group, but that, you know, really, you know, you forming a group, you don't get statistical benefits um, other than the benefits the individual contrib contributes. You know, you don't get, um, you know, group benefits or fleet benefits, you know, for being a part of the, uh, or guild benefits for being part of the guild and everything. So that's, I'm suspecting there's something different with Star Trek Online already. So that's actually why I want to do it. You know, just check it out. So, David, if you are listening, um, yeah, I'll still invite you, you know, to it. You're more than welcome to come into it if you want to. But uh, at this point, you know, I'm going to form it myself. And then I'll invite you in if you want to get invited in later. So, in any case, um, yeah, that's about it for right now. Um, don't know if I'll be back and everything. I'm just exploring an area of the uh, of the space deck, uh, the space, the um, uh, what do they refer to it as? I'm a little tired right now. The space dock, Earth space dock. Uh, I'm exploring right now, and I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before in it. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what more is offered? What more possibilities are there? We'll see. Hopefully. So, anyways, perhaps later. It's already 10:30. I'm not going to be able to finish up the download tonight. Then there's three computers downloading, and it's definitely taxing my network.
As a final side, good morning. Um, I'm posting this in about 20 minutes. I had uh, some really weird dreams last night. One of them, um, I was... It was like, I was like Sabrina the Witch. Only... More or less, um, it was, uh, just... I was somebody different. I, I had some powers, like she does. But, uh, it was almost like things weren't working, like they were supposed to and everything. And, uh, the, the world was shifting around. And, uh, I knew it. And it was one of those things that, you know, I'm just like going, okay, this isn't, uh, isn't preferred and everything. And then all of a sudden... You know, the world is, it's like, it's like dark city shifting around me. Um, it's destabilizing to a big degree, um, in a holographic way. And as it's doing this, I'm asking what it, what it appears to be like my mom or dad or something like that. You know, it's just like, who are we going to have as neighbors, you know? And, uh, it was one of those things that I knew that the people that I had just gone to school with, um, I could potentially have, you know, like a Libby living literally right next to me. If you've seen Libby's, like, uh, the arch nemesis of, uh, she's the cheer captain and, you know, the, uh, Sabrina's mild foe to some degree. Anyways, I just, um, remember sitting there saying, you know, it's just, why is it, uh, or I don't, I don't want that to be a roommate, and so I'm waiting for it to settle, and I'm looking over this, uh, this pole trying to actually look down and, and see who's, who's going to wind up being my next door neighbors and that kind of stuff, and it was just really kind of a weird dream and everything where the whole world is unsettled, and I'm actually finding, you know, it's slowly but surely getting settled and everything, so that was one dream, and, um, I never knew who, you know, who ended up being, you know, becoming my next-door neighbor and everything. It was still trying to settle, and it wasn't settling. Now, the other one was a, uh, it was a dream about, um, death. I was on my deathbed, whoever I was. It wasn't me. You know, I was somebody completely different. And, um, I ended up, uh, going through and just, um, you know, looking, and I remember looking at, or realizing that, that my health monitor was at 3%, and I could hear in the background, you know, a distant voice saying, don't go, Papa, don't go, and, and all of a sudden, at that point, I, I ended up waking up, it was really kind of bizarre, don't go, Papa, don't go, you know, and I remember seeing my health monitor was at 3%, and boom, I end up going. You know, and that's when I wake, woke up physically in my world. Sometimes I do think dreams are more than just dreams, you know. I mean, that's the same thing. You know, hallucinations I had written off as being, you know, something that wasn't real. Well, to some degree, I think dreams are are like hallucinations. They can be depicting real worlds. You know, I mean, these worlds are, for all intents and purposes, alternate realities. But, um, it's easier to classify them as, as non-existent and everything until you actually come to the realization of what they are, which is basically a window into an alternate reality. 
an alternate an alternate place in time and space. So, anyways, I'm going to post this now. Thank you for paying attention.